Gresham College presents The Future of London Government, Part 2 The Mayor and the London Boroughs by Professor Vernon Bogdanor, CBE FBA, Emeritus Gresham Professor of Law. Well, thank you very much. Um, we're talking about how London is governed, but uh, perhaps behind it all is a question of whether London is in fact governable at all. Um, uh, at the end of the 18th century, the poet Shelley described London as that great sea whose ebb and flow at once is deaf and loud and onshore vomits its wrecks and still howls for more. And perhaps that's not a bad description of London now. Um, and as uh, one questioner said, more people live in London than in either Scotland or Wales, but there hasn't been as much political controversy over London as there is over Scotland and Wales. And we heard a lot in the general election about the problems of a government in London which might lack a majority in Scotland or Wales, but not about its relationship to the representation of London. And of course, one of the reasons for this is that London, unlike Scotland, doesn't have a nationalist party which can threaten to secede uh, if its demands are not met. But I think there's another reason as well, and that is the much greater degree of social and political conflict in London than in Scotland or Wales. And it's therefore, I think, much more difficult to, sense, to create a sense of Londonness, a sense of civic consciousness, if you like, that is London-wide, much more difficult to do that than to create a sense of Scottishness or Welshness. Indeed, I think those attitudes exist. London's a divided city, politically, divided socially, economically and ideologically. And you may say, well, Scotland and Wales are also divided, but those divisions, I think, don't inhibit the formation of a genuine consciousness, which in recent years at least has been united around the demand for devolution. Now, perhaps one thing that unites Londoners is they don't like paying and subsidising the rest of the country, but nevertheless their complaints don't carry quite the punch of the SNP's, it's Scotland's oil, uh, which was used so much in the 1970s. So, and this is why the problem of London government, as Tony Travis has explained, has on the whole been a party political problem that generally people on the left favoured a strong uh, London authority. Um, from the Fabians at the end of the 19th century to Herbert Morris and to Ken Livingstone to today, whereas people on the right, from Lord Salisbury's government to Margaret Thatcher's government, have always been against it, and they've championed the rights of the boroughs, and particularly perhaps the outer suburban boroughs. Now, of course, uh, London uh, is a very dominant capital city, and so, uh, as Tony has explained, a powerful government in London would compete with the national government. Now, uh, some modern countries, perhaps we ought to do the same, but some countries have established capitals away from their dominant cities in Canberra in Australia, or Ottawa in Canada, or Washington in New York. And Germany's capital city was born before reunification. Um, but you can see the problems which will arise with a powerful um, authority if one looks at Paris, which is perhaps the nearest analogy from this point of view to London, because uh, the position of mayor of Paris was not created until the late 1970s, and it was established then to mollify Jacques Chirac, uh, who President Giscard had sacked as prime minister, and Jacques Chirac became mayor of Paris, but he proceeded to use that position to form a new party called the Rassemblement pour la République, 
which directly competed with Giscard and was responsible largely for him losing the presidential election in 1981. So uh, Chirac used London to create an alternative power base to that of the president and any British politician looking across the channel would be very chary of doing the same here. And this is the reason why uh, governments have been so careful about reform uh, in uh, London. Now, the um, reform that we did eventually get with the um, Labour government of 1997 had, from our point of view, a very novel and fundamental feature. And it was this, that by contrast with uh, the um, LCC and the GLC, the new authority represented a new model of government. It wasn't simply a recreation of the GLC because it lacked, on the whole, executive powers. And as set up, it had no statutory powers over health, education or housing and was specifically prohibited from providing those services or spending money on them and forbidden to spend money on any service that was being provided by a borough council or any other public body. And its main statutory powers when it was set up, they've been modified since, were in the area of economic development and transport. And so it's used its powers to impose the congestion charge. That's a thing we all know best. And in, also, as Tony emphasised, uh, in addition to having few executive powers, the mayor lacks independent sources of revenue. Uh, most of his revenue comes from central government and a small amount from a precept on the boroughs. Um, and you may say it's odd that a mayor representing a capital city and one of the largest cities in the world has no independent sources of taxation. My small rural district council, the Vale of the White Horse, can raise a council tax, but a body representing the people of London uh, cannot do so. But the point of it was that the Greater London Council was established, sorry, the Greater London Authority was established, not as a metropolitan authority for London with the executive powers, but what the government called a strategic authority. And that was responsible not primarily for the delivery of services, which would remain in the hands of central government and the boroughs. Its aim was to set a strategy for London. And this idea for strategic authority is a new one in British experience. And I think it's still after ten years by no means clear how it will operate, but what does it mean? It, it's really a, a hybrid form of uh, government. Now, the um, Government, the central government was faced with a problem that I think is more or less unique, and here I do diverge a bit with Tony, uh, uh, unique uh, amongst uh, the government of capital cities. Because uh, London is not just uh, a capital, but has 32 powerful boroughs together with a city corporation, uh, each of which is an authority. The three of the boroughs, Hackney, Lewisham and Newham, have their own directly elected mayors. And this, I think, the existence of the powerful boroughs makes the problem of government in London different in kind from that of other capital cities. Now, Tony, pa Tony mentioned the municipalities of Paris, but I don't think they're frankly as powerful uh, and as, as long established as the boroughs of London. And you could mention the boroughs of New York, of which there are five, but they don't attract the sort of loyalties that boroughs here uh, attract, I think. And people in New York see themselves as New Yorkers first and inhabitants of the Bronx second. And the boroughs of New York are fairly weak units of government. Um, and they don't deliver services, nor do they have taxing powers. But of course the London boroughs do. 
And in London, particularly in the outer suburbs, people think of themselves as residents of Barnet or Hillingdon or Richmond or Croydon, and only secondary as Londoners. And uh, I remember in an interesting by-election shortly after the general election of 1997 in the constituency of Uxbridge, the Labour Party appointed someone from Hammersmith, I think now represents Hammersmith, Andrew Slaughter, and he said he would feel at home in Uxbridge because he too was a West Londoner. Uh, people in Uxbridge rebelled against that. They don't see themselves as West Londoners. They said, we belong to Uxbridge. And the, Susan Kramer told me when uh, campaigning for the post of Mayor of London as a Liberal Democrat candidate, she was campaigning in Croydon, and people said to her, well, I thought you were campaigning for Mayor of London. What's this got to do with Croydon? And th there may not be that sense of Londonness in the outer boroughs. Now, some would say that politically there's no such entity as London at all. There's just a collection of boroughs or villages linked together. Um, one authority said it was a series of linked villages with its centre as more a sort of national territory lacking a true local identity. And on this view, London could manage perfectly well without a London-wide authority. It did from 1986 to 2000, and that was a very period, it's fair to say, of London's dynamic economic growth without a mayor or authority. And everybody said that London was, London was foaming at the mouth for a mayor, but the referendum attracted a turnout of 36%, and the first mayoral elections attracted a turnout of 34%. So it didn't seem that the feeling was as strong as many people say, and I suspect we in this audience are possibly unrepresentative. Of course, uh, if we're interested in politics at all, we're not only unrepresentative but abnormal, because most people aren't. But if we, probably if we were interested in the government of London and the relationship between London and the boroughs were even more abnormal. But uh, there was a very low turnout. And it may be that the average Londoner feels sufficiently re well represented by their boroughs and doesn't need London-wide representation at all. There's no inherent necessity for it, perhaps. But it seems to me, and uh, Bob Worcester may have something to say on this, that the creation of the Mayor of London has in fact increased the sense of London. It's strengthened that sense just as the creation of the National Assembly of Wales, which was created by a very small majority, about 51% to 49%, since it's been in existence, has increased the sense of Welshness, that the institution itself uh, has uh, done something to make people feel Londoners. And from that point of view, it might politically weaken the salience and importance of the famous West Lothian question, that Londoners may feel less underrepresented than people in the rest of England vis-à-vis Scotland. But of course, this does raise problems if you have a London authority for the relationship with the boroughs, because the point of a strategic authority is that it is not a superior authority to the boroughs. It has no powers over the boroughs. Very few powers to compel or override or overrule the boroughs. It's not an upper-tier authority to the boroughs. And the difference between them lies partly in their sphere of operation that the London authority is meant to take a London-wide view and the boroughs a borough-wide view, uh, but also in the fact of a strategic authority. But it doesn't seem to me that lacking executive... It seems to me that lacking executive powers and lacking a tax base, how can you actually implement a London-wide strategy? And the powers of the mayor seem to be limited primarily to those of persuasion and publicity. You are, in effect, a cheerleader. Now, 
the two mayors of London, Ken Livingstone and Boris Johnson, uh, had been very, very effective cheerleaders. They were elected for that. But are they more than that? Uh, you may say the example that Tony gave is a very interesting one about the relationship with the police, which actually I think raises very important and rather dangerous constitutional questions if the Mayor of London, an elected politician, can require the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Peace to, Police to resign. This seems to me to raise very deep and important questions which haven't been thought through, um, that an elected politician, in my opinion, should not have that sort of power uh, over the uh, police. But the difficulty is, of the Mayor's position, that many people assume that because he's the Mayor of London, he is Mr London, and he's responsible for everything that happens in London, rather than a minuscule part of it. Apparently Londoners frequently ask the Mayor, what are you doing about crime? What are you doing about homelessness? Now there's not much he can do about these things. You might ask those questions of the Mayor of New York, but you can't ask them really of the Mayor of London. He's primarily a cheerleader. So there's some disparity between perceptions of his role and the reality of his power. Now a further weakness of the system established by um, the government um, after 1997 is that so few voters, I think, are aware of how the powers over government in London are distributed. Uh, who can pinpoint with any accuracy the powers held in London by central government, the government offices for London, which I think the new coalition has said it wouldn't abolish, the, the, um, the, the mayor, the boroughs, and the various London-wide quangos, such as the London Housing Board and the various health and cultural bodies. And that lack of clarity does not make for effective government, in my opinion. In 2006, there was a Commission on London Governance set up by the Greater London Assembly and the Association of London Government's Leaders' Committees. And it concluded this. An overarching theme running through this report is that Londoners should have more say in the way their city is run. One of the current barriers to this is the extreme complexity of London's governance arrangements, which involve not only the GLA and the boroughs, but many other agencies and organisations. This complexity, we conclude, undermines attempts by citizens to engage with service providers and shape services. The price of this lack of local engagement can be failure of efforts at reform, poor performance and low public satisfaction. Inadequate accountability, therefore, has practical and economic as well as democratic implications, leaving Londoners deprived as both citizens and users of public services. Now, I agree with Tony that the Mayor, of course, has tremendous democratic legitimacy, but it seems to me he doesn't have the levers uh, to make this legitimacy uh, very effective. And it seems to me wrong to establish a new and complex system of government with a directly elected mayor, but then provide him with insufficient powers to make his role effective. And of course the problem is, going right through this, central government was in two minds as to whether it actually wanted an effective mayor or not, because an effective mayor would be a challenge, and uh, um, it's possible that Boris Johnson would be as much of a challenge or thorn in the side of David Cameron as Ken Livingstone was to successive, not just Conservative governments, but also uh, Labour governments. And it seems to me the whole concept of a strategic authority in London is very vague. Uh, this was looked at before in the late 1970s, um, when the Conservative leader of Leeds City Council, Sir Frank Marshall, was asked to do a study by the GLC of the future of government in Greater London. And he said, the concept of a strategic role was a new one in 1965 when the GLC was created. 
It could thus be adopted as a convenient but undefined description by an authority seeking a role in life, but dispossessed of the powerful operational functions which had vitalised its ancestors. And so if you really believe in a London-wide system, it seems to me you need to rebalance powers so that the powers of a mayor can be more commensurate with perceptions of his role in the government of London. Now, um, uh, a survey by Bob's um, organisation, uh, Ipsos Mori, in 2006, said that despite the high public profile of the mayor, and despite the mayor's vocal call for increase in the GLA precepts to fund new initiatives, there was minimal association between the mayor and tax increases by a public short on understanding of public sector finance. When asked who is most responsible for tax rises in the capital, Londoners say first that central government is most culpable. However, and second in line for blame, local councils are twice as likely to get the blame for these rises as the mayor. But the arrangements are so complex and opaque that really only someone who studied them for a long time could be expected to understand them. And such arrangements do not make for good government. Now, when devolution was established in Wales uh, in 1998, the then Welsh Secretary, Ron Davis, said that devolution was a process and not an event. Uh, and it seems to me the same is or ought to be true of London government, and that further reform is necessary. Now, when the 1999 London Government Bill was being discussed in Parliament, the Conservatives proposed that in place of the Assembly there should be a forum or Senate composed of representatives of the boroughs. Now, Livingston, who opposed it then, came to support it uh, towards the end of his tenure as London Mayor. And uh, the objection um, to the idea was the boroughs represent a borough-wide view and only the mayor represents a London-wide view. But really it's not very easy for the assembly or any other body to scrutinise the mayor and perhaps the boroughs would do it uh, in a better way. Um, and that might help to get some sort of devolution of powers from central government. And there is, I think, a case for a London Senate comprising representatives of the London boroughs. And perhaps, if that was established, the mayor might then be given the power to override recalcitrant boroughs. Perhaps he, needs, he might need the agreement of two-thirds of the boroughs representing the Senate to be able to override a recalcitrant minority and secure genuine London-wide policies. But at present, it seems to me that we're in the middle of two worlds. We haven't yet made up our mind whether we do actually want a London-wide authority and whether we're prepared to accept the implications of it. So I think that the London Government Act of 1999 marked not a final solution to what you may think is an insoluble problem of how London should be governed, but the further stage in the search for that solution. And it seems to me that we need some sort of inquiry again. The days of royal commissions have gone, but it seems to me London government is in a highly unsatisfactory state and that we need to draw out the implications of what we did when we created a mayor. But I want to conclude with some, with a, I think, a very um, pertinent sentence in Tony Travers' book uh, on the politics of London, when he said that Londoners continue to survive despite their government rather than because of it. For all information, please visit our website, www.gresham.ac.uk.